0: I want to jump right in there. We got a lot to cover this morning. Uh, in 1904, 1904, a guy named J. M. Bari writes a play and publishes it. It goes out and it's called Peter Pan. Peter Pan, the boy who couldn't grow up. Of course, most of you, I would imagine, show of hands, how many of you have heard of Peter Pan before, right? It became sort of an iconic story that's been told over a hundred years now. And based on my last trip to Disneyland, there's no sign of stopping for this thing, right? I mean, everybody knows about it. It's this fantastic world. I mean, one of the things that makes Pan the Man so appealing is where he lives, right? This mythical island that you can only get to by being sprinkled with pixie dust and then setting your course second star to the right and heading straight on till morning. Right? That's how you get there. What are we talking about? Talk about Neverland. Neverland, right? This great place where the only adults are these mean old pirates who are kind of clumsy and they try to stop Peter and the Lost Boys from having fun all day, every day. Right? I mean that Neverland is where kids want to live. Neverland is where adults want to live. Right? I mean, no meetings, no deadlines, a bunch of friends to have food fights with, the ability of flight. Right? This is the place that we all want to go to, and every kid in their heart at some point or another, and usually out loud says when they hear the story, is Neverland real? Well, the inspiration for Pan's adventures came actually from some pretty bleak circumstances in Bari's life. In fact, his, when he was a kid, his older brother died at the age of 14 in a tragic skating accident. His mom never really recovered from that. And so he wrote, as an adult, he wrote these stories as a way to kind of console his mom if there was this 14-year-old boy that could just constantly have more adventures, and it really consoled her to the end of her life. On top of that, as an adult, Bari became the custodian of two boys who lost their mother to cancer. And in fact, the older of the two boys was named Peter, which is where Peter Pan comes from. And for him, it was a way to help these boys, he would say, escape reality. It was a way to comfort them. And Neverland was a place where people didn't die, didn't grow old. A wild, but somehow still safe place where your soul actually manages to rest while at the same time bounding from one adventure to the next. Now listen, today we're going to talk about the seventh day of creation. All right, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter two is where we're going to be. We're in a series, if you're newer to Mercy Church, we're in a series of sermons where we're looking at the first few chapters of Genesis, the first three, and we're calling the series Created, where we are looking at, plain and simple, what does God say we are created for? What's our purpose? Y'all, we live in a world where people try and answer that question with any number of things. And one of the ways we try to figure out what our purpose is, is we fill our lives up to the brim with activity so that we don't have any empty time, right? Because we think of empty time as a sign of an empty life. And so since we don't know what we're created to do, we just do a lot. We do a lot. We attempt to fool everyone else around us because, hey, busy people must be important people. So we fill up. Some people work long hours, because they hope that by working a lot, and being successful at work, that'll be a sign of importance and they will have value. Some people put their kids in like a hundred activities because maybe successful kids will make me valuable. Some people go out every single night, every night because sitting at home alone would be a sign of social failure. So the busier, the better. And we all collectively sort of buy into that idea. And we say it with a burden, man, I'm so busy right now but secretly we love it, right? We love that we're able to say we're busy because that equals we're important. But then we go into the Bible today and you're gonna see what I believe is a very clear message from God that you and I are in fact called to rest. In fact, I'm gonna try and convince you that God designed a weekly rhythm into our lives that includes a full day of rest where your mind, body, and soul just stop and rest. And listen, for most people in our world, that sounds a bit like Neverland, a mythical place, a mythical concept that would be great if I were a child, but in my grown-up real world, I don't have time for mythical things like Neverland, like a day of rest. You try living my life, Pastor. I got two kids, three jobs a stack of bills. I know students will say, look, my grades, they aren't taking a day off. I got to study. Athletes feel like they can't afford to take a day off from training. Their competitors aren't. You got major deadlines. You don't feel like you can take a day off. Accountants, I grew up as a son of an accountant. Tax season comes around. What in the world is a day off? There's no time for that. Uh, I got a guy in my community group, works at a hospital. He's like, look, man, people don't take days off from breaking bones. We've seen that, right? There's constantly something that has to be done. And so everybody's reaction is, I can't afford to waste a whole day just resting. It'd be awesome, but I don't have time for Neverland. I'm too busy. Here's the deal. Today, we're going to put busyness on trial. And I believe we're going to find it to be a liar and a deceiver, guilty of robbing us of the joy that we're supposed to have in Christ. So I try each time we get together and preach from God's word, try to give you a big idea to take home. Here's the one for today. You are created to rest. If you're a note taker, this will be what you take down. You are created to rest. So you are not too busy to rest. Because God is not going to create you for something that is unattainable for you. You are created to rest. So you are not too busy to rest. But, but resting is going to take some work. You're created to rest, so you're not too busy to rest. But based on the way our culture operates, and if you've been operating in it without thinking about it, is resting is going to take some work. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you how the idea of rest develops in Scripture. We're going to start with our passage, but then what we'll do, it's a little bit different than what I normally do with a sermon. We'll start in our passage, Genesis 2, 1 through 3. But then we're going to kind of build on that to see the theme of rest the idea of rest, how God develops it throughout Scripture. Uh, it'll kind of be like when you growing up, little kid. You ever do one of those connect the dots pictures? You know what I'm talking about. Everybody nod your head. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it's just like gotta go dot number one, dot number two. Da, 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 da. That's kind of what we're doing today. Okay. We're gonna trace rest. Through, I think it's eight dots. So, you super type A note takers, I think there's eight. We're going to go through them pretty fast, okay? And what you'll see is as we connect them, you'll see the picture start to develop. So, like when you're a kid, it's like you finally get about, you know, you get around, you get down, it's like, oh, I fished. It was just dots, and now it's a thing. That's what we're going to see today as we walk through God's word, which is a great way to understand and see that these 66 books are actually one book. All right, and I'll help you follow along through these eight dots and see how the picture starts to take shape. That means, though, we're going to be moving through the Bible today at a pretty good clip, okay? So hang on, let's go. Genesis chapter two, verse one. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. All I want you to see right here before we go to this next thing is that Moses, our author, is telling us that God was finished, right? Creation was completed on day six. So day seven day seven is not a creating day for God, yet the week is, is seven days. So there must be something significant about adding a day because creation was already done. What's he doing? Here we go. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse three is massive here. God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. This is, like I said, our first big dot in the story. This is the starting one in the picture, right? A couple things I want you to see. First is this idea of rested. What is this? rested me. This was, I was getting to, we actually shared this with our kids at dinner the other night. I was like, so was God tired? And they're like, uh, it's like, it says he rested. It's like, was he tired? Well, no, God can't be God, right? Be all powerful, which means you have, you know, all the power, right? He can't be all powerful and still be zapped of his strength. Day seven for God, wasn't God going, whew, need a breather. That's not what was happening here. So it, was going, it also does not mean God just stopped being active altogether, right? In fact, you're going to see over in, um, what was it, John 5, John 5, Jesus is going to say the father who created is still holding the world the world together. He's going to say it again, and Paul's going to say in Colossians 1, he's still holding the world together right now. So if God were to just be like, drop the mic and walk off, the whole thing would fall apart, right? Earth, everything, existence would just fall apart. So it can't be that he stopped doing anything altogether. So what is he doing? The word rested here literally means he ceased. In fact, the root is Shabbat, which is where we're gonna get Sabbath. He stopped creating. He didn't stop altogether. Here's the way way I'm gonna try and show you today. And it's the way that we're gonna, I think at the end, be called to celebrate the Sabbath. God's rest here was a rest of celebration, not a rest of inactivity. He stopped creating and began to celebrate that which he had created. In the Old Testament, God's rest is directly tied to his rule over creation. So now that he's done creating, sitting down, presiding over it, and celebrating it. Think about the guy who builds a sailboat in his wood shop. He finishes, and then what does he do? He doesn't just walk away and never think about the thing again. No, he takes it out on the water, celebrates, enjoys that which he has created. That's the celebration that's being talked about here. And I want you to see that God says that not only he rested, and then he did a couple of things to this day. He blessed the seventh day, and he called it holy. He took such pleasure in the seventh day. Listen, this is going to be big for this day having, it does something to us. He blessed it. The only other things he has blessed in creation were animals and people. And he said to them, he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Like he infused his creative power into those things when he blessed them and he's infusing power into this day. But how is this day fruitful? Well, it's not like it's fruitful with offspring in terms of physical offspring with animals and with people. No, no, it's fruitful and that it gives us, it creates something in our souls that we didn't have without it. No other day gets blessed like this. And he even goes so far as to declare it. Holy This is the first thing, everything else he's created. This is the first thing, a day is the first thing in the Bible that he's called holy. He wants Israel to cherish this day as as sacred. It's a major, major deal. He's putting a big distinction between whatever this day is and the rest of the days leading up to it. Now, that's our first dot. Now I wanna show you, we'll call this tracing the theme, okay? I wanna show you how this dot connects to the other ones and we start to see the picture. The next dot comes up in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start going faster through Scripture, okay? Exodus chapter 20. This commandment gets more words than any of the other commandments. I'm going to read you verses 8 through 11. He says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And listen to the echo and sometimes the just outright um, repetition of creation that we just read, all right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days, do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You your son or daughter, your male or female servant, even the cows, okay? Even your livestock or the resident alien who's within your city gates. Why? For the Lord your God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord, he's just quoting now, blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Listen, it becomes really clear. This Old Testament law, Israel is supposed to set aside one day a week. And the reason this is a big deal, y'all, Israel had chores to do. Israel's not just sitting around. As they're wandering through the wilderness, every day they had chores because they had no food. Every day they had to walk outside and pick up the food off the ground that the Lord had provided to them for just that day. Right, it was called manna. It was on the ground and there were quail running around. I don't know how they got them and everything, but they got that and went home and they had dinner. But they could only take enough for that day because Israel was so hard-hearted and so stubborn and thought they could provide for themselves that the Lord for 40 years had to say, no, no, you're just gonna rely on me today for your food. Okay, so they get that for the day. And if they ever got extra because they didn't trust the Lord, it would rot back in their homes so that they could only get enough for the day except for the sixth day. And on the sixth day, they had to get enough for two days. Why? Because he wanted them to rest on the Sabbath day, to rest from their work. See, God was training them in a weekly rhythm of work and of joyful rest. The seventh day was holy because in their rest, God was showing them some big truths that he still has for us. There's more to life than work. And by stopping, they had time to meditate on his word, to pray, to commune with God. It taught them to trust him. They could have gotten more work done if they had another day. But they were forced to trust that six days was enough. And look, the other place, let me give you the next dot because it's gonna connect to another reason they were to celebrate the Sabbath. The next dot is gonna be the fourth commandment recited in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, 15. Deuteronomy 5, this is our third dot. Remember, you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there. This happens so much in the Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, it's always calling them back to their salvation. You are a slave in the land of Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with a strong hand and outstretched arm, and that, look at this, that, therefore, the reason... That's why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Israel had been overworked, forced to make bricks without straw, hard labor. Pharaoh only lets them go when God does this miraculous deliverance from the Passover with their redemption from Egypt. Listen, it came the rest that they could not have as slaves. They were worked every day. They had been worked for hundreds of years. And now finally they had been given rest. See, the Sabbath gave them space to celebrate God as their creator, that's the Exodus dot, and as their redeemer, that's the Deuteronomy dot. You start to see that the Sabbath was there to just bask in their God who had delivered them. Here's your next dot, Isaiah 58. So we're gonna start to see this picture take shape of what the Sabbath was in the Old Testament. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, that's pretty strong language, from doing whatever you want on my holy day. That's what desecrating it is. If you call the Sabbath, however, a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, not seeking your own pleasure or talking business, then when you honor it, when you delight in it, you will delight in the Lord. So to delight in the Sabbath will lead you to delight in the Lord. I'll make you ride over the heights of the land, let you enjoy the heritage of your father, Jacob. The Sabbath wasn't designed to be drudgery just some law, it was to be delight in resting from work. You find delight in the Lord. And when you delight in this day, you delight in the Lord. You ride over the heights of the land. Look at that imagery. Listen, here's the best way we can think of it. In practicing the Sabbath, in taking a day to rest in the Lord, it was almost like a taste of heaven. It's almost like you get to taste communion with God without this drudge this hard labor. It's a taste of heaven. God created this one day. So where when you and I, (laughs) and we're Israel, if for six days they had managed to forget the Lord and think that it was all about them providing for themselves and being able to do it on their own, and they had managed to distance themselves from the Lord because I'm gonna do it on my own, I'm gonna do it on my own, do it on my own. That day was to call them back to, no, 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 no. It was God who brought you out. It was God who created you. And now you can commune with him again. It's a taste of of heaven. Well, as we start to see this picture take shape, that the Sabbath was holy, the Sabbath was really good, the Sabbath was this way to commune with the Father that Israel often ran from, Jesus is going to come on the scene in the the New Testament and he's going to do something that seems at first to totally tear apart that picture, but in actuality gives it the clarity that they never had. Now it's I'm going to show it to you in Mark 2, the end of Mark 2 and the beginning of Mark 3. Um, I'm only going to do Mark 2 as a dot, but you could do it again in Mark 3 because he does it two times because he's trying to make a point. Mark 2, 23, on the Sabbath, he was going, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, the Pharisees are the religious leaders. They said, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so Jesus responds to them. You never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence Basically, a big no-no. It was not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And also gave some to his companions. Haven't you read about that time where David broke the law? This law that you've set up that wasn't a, a true law, but instead one that you had set up around the things of God? And so 27, he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Look, Jesus is saying, guys, y'all started putting all these laws around things that were supposed to be a delight. It was supposed to be a taste of heaven designed to bring God's people closer to him. But instead, these leaders were using this as a religious Means of intimidation and oppression over these people. And Jesus was angry at them for it. That's the one, Mark 3 is going to say, he was angered by them. It, Sabbath was there as a delight, a place to rest. And it had become hollowed out. It was now a works-based tradition. They weren't delighting in the Sabbath. And then he goes further and he says, the son of man is what? Lord, even of the Sabbath. Listen, the Sabbath was designed to give you a taste of heaven. That's what the Old Testament Picture of those dots that start to show us, and then Jesus brings more clarity into focus on the Sabbath when he says, "Heaven has come down. Heaven is now here. it's him. He is the Sabbath. and as these leaders were missing the Sabbath and the point of the Sabbath, now they were missing the Lord of the Sabbath right there in front of them. He isn't just the creator of the day of rest. He is rest itself. Your body needing rest. Some of you might feel that right now. That's an indicator that your soul needs rest. Augustine said our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. He came to put an end to our search for rest so that we might have satisfying life and have it. What John 1010 say, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's what he's come for, to satisfy our longing to live in the fullness of life that we're created for. Y'all listen, busyness in your life. And in my life, that is a cheap substitute for the value, the acceptance, the joy that you are meant to find in Christ. And what happens in Jesus's life? He says he's Lord of the Sabbath. He says he's painting this picture, giving us clarity in our connect the dots picture that he is the one we're to find rest in. The reason we can't find rest in him is because of our sin, trying to find rest in something else. And then John 19 30 tells us he gets up on the cross and the last Words that he says are, it is finished. It's finished, just like creation was finished. Now the payment for our sin is finished. That is a really big dot in our picture. His atoning work for the sins of the world were finished. The God who finished his creative work has now finished his redeeming work. And so now you and I, you and I can actually have day seven, not a shadow of it, The real thing. We can rest from the weight of our sin. We can return to the God that we're created for. The burden of sin is lifted off our backs, y'all. This for me, I became a Christian as a teenager. Um, I was at this event with a bunch of other friends, and we walk out of that event. I had gone. I had had said, you know, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of saving. I believe that Christ died for my sins. He saved me. I went through that, and we came out after the event was over. And I was trying to describe how I was physically feeling. To my friends. And really, the word I still remember this clear as day. The words I can remember saying is, I feel like a weight has been lifted off of my back. I don't know how else to describe it. I feel like I could fly. Like there was this just a whole different me than there was 15 minutes ago. No pixie dust needed. I felt like I could fly. And the Apostle Paul, he starts to confirm this reality of Christ being our true rest in our next to last dot. Colossians chapter two, 16 and 17. Again, this one and one more, I told you kind of move through these scriptures. He says, don't let anyone judge you now that you have Christ. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the manner of a festival or a new moon or what? Or a Sabbath day, because those things including the Sabbath day, they were just a shadow of what was to come. Christ is the substance. They were just a shadow. The Sabbath day is a shadow of the Sabbath God. He's Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he's the God of rest. No wonder Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden, all who have heavy burdens that you feel like they are just Dragging you down, come to be. No worry, give those to me. Give those to me, and you will find rest. The Sabbath day was a signpost, pointing you to the Sabbath God, pointing you to the Sabbath man, pointing you to the one who you could actually finally have rest from your pain, have rest from your boring, empty routine. Have rest from your busyness that you are doing to try and find purpose, but it's not delivering. What you needed was the Sabbath man. Rest in him, not in how well you obey some religious rules. In fact, our last dot for today, bringing the picture into view, is Hebrews 4 9 through 11. It says, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains, remains still. It's available to us now for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest, that's Christ's rest, has rested from his own works, just like God did from his. So let's make every effort then to enter that rest. That rest from our own works and enter into the rest that we find in Christ. This guy named Kent Hughes wrote a fantastic commentary. On Genesis, I've been using a lot as reference for this series, would encourage you to. It's really accessible and good. He said, listen, mere intellectual belief, that doesn't bring rest to the soul. Even acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the son of God and savior of the world, acknowledging that is not going to bring true rest to the soul. Trust. Trust in him. That's what gives you rest. True faith is belief plus trust. When you truly trust Christ as your savior, rest comes because the burden of your sins has been lifted off of you. You're able to rest from your works and because you're in Christ, then and only then do you enter the Sabbath rest of God that you were created for. See, in Neverland, I mean, really that was Bari's best attempt to pointing us to something that is actually way better. In Neverland, you just never grow up and play around. It's mythical and ultimately falls far short of something real. Something that actually is real that God gave us to find rest in. The Sabbath man, Jesus Christ, who says, lay him down. Lay him down and find rest in me. And one day, as you Sabbath each week, it's just a taste of one day, a rest that'll be the thing you were always created for. Let me summarize this picture. Let me summarize it so you can see how it all connects, why the Bible says you need to Sabbath, and then I'll give you a couple of getting started steps. Listen, here's what you should see. Here's what the picture should show you. It should show you that the Sabbath reminds us we were created for God. We're created for God. At the heart of original sin, I read one theologian says, it's the refusal to accept God's rhythm for us. The essence of being in God's image is our ability like God to actually stop, to stop. We imitate God when we stop working and rest. If we can stop for a day a week or even what he called mini Sabbaths each day, it was just a little bit of time with the Lord. We touch something that is deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brain, our bodies, our spirits, our emotions are wired by God for a rhythm of work and then rest in him. Y'all, we're not created first and foremost for our jobs, not for our kids, not for our spouses, right? Not for fishing, not for Fortnite, whatever that thing is that you've been diving into. We are created for God. And the Sabbath, that's what allows us to find that joy in him again, to remind us that we were created to be before we were ever created to do. There's a second thing in this picture. The Sabbath reminds us that God is the provider. He is the one we're created for, and he is the provider for our lives. Y'all, no other society in ancient times took a day off. This was bizarre then, just like it's bizarre now. You had Provision was like this day-to-day, season-to-season reality. And God set up the world, how? So that our provision actually does come, like we till the ground or whatever work that we do. Provision comes by the work we do. Because of that, it can be easy to assume that we're the ones that bear the primary responsibility for providing for ourselves. And so giving yourself a margin of a day a week seems wasteful, but it's only wasteful if you actually believe that you are the provider of your life. If you believe God's the provider, then you trust that he will provide for you and bless you through taking that time. Look, obvious example, let's just all, we all know the one we're thinking about, Southeastern United States, it is Chick-fil-A, all right? (laughs) These guys, so many studies have been done on them uh, because uh, of this whole idea that they take one day off a week in an industry that most certainly does not, and it seems ridiculous because they're missing out on an extra day every week worth of revenue, right? Not on, on top of that, I always seem to want Chick-fil-A the most on Sunday, <laughs> right? That's just how I end up feeling. And the CEO, again, number of studies and, and, and assessments have been done on this. Um, the, the CEO has said multiple times that this rest actually improves the quality of work they get out of their employees, right? The, look, here's why I love the, the Sabbath. I love this theme in scripture because it's not something that you and I can shrug off as like an abstract thought of, oh, that's, that's interesting. No, no, it's just a day. It's very plain and simply a day. The question is, do you tr- do you trust in you or in God more for provision in your life? That is plain and simple what this comes down to. Because if you trust God, you'll Sabbath. No spiritual mumbo jumbo talk to kind of talk your way out of it. You've been in church a while, you know the language. no, 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 no. If you trust the Lord, you will rest. Here's the last thing in this picture. We're created for God. He is the provider. And the last thing I want you to see with these dots all connecting is the Sabbath reminds us that God is the savior of our lives. There's this um, writer, Tim Kreider. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but he is a writer and his name's Tim Crider. He wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, um, on the busy trap. Here's what he said of Americans. He said, they're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness. And this, I thought was fantastic insight. I don't know if this dude's a believer or not. He says, and they dread what they might have to face in its absence. I can't help but wonder whether all this histrionic exhaustion isn't a way of covering up the fact that most of what we do doesn't matter. There is uncertainty rumbling like a roaring river just underneath the surface of busyness for most people. We do enough, we stay busy enough, we'll never have to confront that thing. And most of us are glad because we're pretty confident that uncertainty of what in the world am I created for is a monster that'll eat us alive. That's why we're pausing over the series and right now say, what are we created for? I know many don't want to think about it, worried about that monster, worried about being put into a tailspin. So many just go on and they're enslaved to pointless routines, dreading the real things. See, the Sabbath gave the Israelites space to reflect, to celebrate just like God celebrated when he sat down, finished with creation, it gave them space to celebrate their salvation, that God had accomplished their greatest need, salvation from their sin all by himself. I mean, the Israelites, y'all, they did not make a single contribution in the Exodus. And Moses is saying, if God took care of your greatest need all by himself, don't you think you can trust him to take care of your day-to-day needs? And as they trusted they were to reflect on their new relationship they had with God. In Egypt, they had been slaves. But when God calls them out, he says, you are now sons and daughters. They once were under the oppression, the the cruel reign of Pharaoh. Now they're under the tender care of a loving father. They could trust him. That's what Christ does for us. He breaks the chains. This is the Language and the imagery of scripture, it's very intentional. He breaks the chains of slavery that sin has on us. That has been weighing us down and he sets us free to be sons and daughters of God. This is the way my old pastor said, I thought it was a great way of, of summarizing what we're to do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day to remind us to stop thinking like slaves and to start thinking like sons and daughters again. So where do you go from here? How do you put this into play? I, I get it, y'all. I've been praying so much this week because I've been super convicted this week. We live in a world where this seems like a just bizarre thing to try and implement into our lives. How do we actually rest like God calls us to? Look, if your life feels too full, then to say yes to Sabbath, of course, it means you're gonna have to say no to something else. So the first question to busy, tired people, which... You might be running under that banner, is what do you need to say no to so you can say yes to rest. I told you at the beginning, you're created to rest. You're not too busy to rest, but resting is gonna take some work. And one of the most important things to create room for resting in the Lord like He has created you for is gonna be saying no. Now, listen, I am a people pleaser. I mean the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, every last test down to what Hogwarts house I'm in, right? Like all of them say that I just want to be the winner at everything and I want everybody to like me while I do it, okay? So the idea of saying no to somebody, man, that, give, that starts to create stress in my life. But you're going to have to say no in order to say yes to the Lord, to resting, And it's going to be foreign to people, okay? I know some of you are expected to work somehow or another every day. You sneak in work here or there because you're always on and we have the ability to always be plugged in. So we don't treat work anymore like it comes with an on-off switch. We treat it like it has a dimmer switch. So I'll dim it down in my off time, but it'll never be completely off. Listen, you need rest from notification fatigue. You need rest. Rest, and you're like, well, but I'll be behind if I turn it completely off. Behind in what? In your work? You are woefully behind in something that matters way much more to your soul. So how about you catch up with God and trust him that work will be okay without you, and you're going to be okay without work. Now, right here, let me give a caveat to parents of young children, okay? <laughs> Specifically like that preschool age or younger I, you just can't completely say no to your kids one whole day a week, okay? You can't be like, I ain't cooking because this is Sabbath, Chick fil A's closed, good luck, kid, right? Like, you can't do that. I get it. They're still gonna crawl around trying to eat batteries. Like, you're gonna have to pay attention at some point, all right? So let me say something. Moms and dads of young children, I want you to take a deep breath right now. God loves you, okay? <laughs> Life might be really hard, might be really exhausting right now. You need to remember that children are a gift from the Lord. The Bible promises that, okay? Regardless of how your morning was this morning, one day sleep will come again, all right? I know you came in here, your shirt's inside out and backwards, right? You got a sock clinging to your skirt or whatever you had. You just need to hear God loves you. Listen, if there are two of you, work together with one another to figure out what Sabbath rest can look like. Be partners in one another in that regard. If there's only one of you parenting, listen, come and talk with your pastors. Let the church help you. And give each other a lot of grace. Certainly, God does. So, what should fill up your time during Sabbath rest? Let me close with close with this. What do you do with it? Right? If you're all right, I might get it. What do you do? The idea of rest was to celebrate who you are in Christ. Remember, it's a taste of heaven, just a taste. So, what allows you to rest and get that taste of heaven? First, I'd say worship, worship alone. I do believe this has got to involve some real set aside time to commune alone with the Lord. That means sitting down with your Bible, sitting down and praying and looking at what God says about God, what he says about you in light of what he says about God, the victory that you have over sin, and is just sitting on it, learning it, seeing the character of God and praising him, bringing the things that are burdening back to him and spending time with him. Listen, the second one is to worship with others. Listen, for many people, Sabbath is a Sunday, today, where they can be reminded of God's love for them, and you can celebrate it. We can sing together and be encouraged and our souls be lifted up. Again, a taste of heaven. In fact, our staff was really convicted about this this week, um, about how we structure ministry teams here, because we want today, we want us to be able to each serve one another while we rest, kind of like a family does at a big family gathering which happens when everyone is engaged. So I'd say find a place where you're serving, and able to serve somebody else and not be a form of rest instead of it being a handful of people trying to be in a burden just to them. But listen, the day is not the big deal. I mean, I'll tell you, Sunday is not my Sabbath, right? I'm working a pretty good sweat up here right now, right? And I love it. It's a work day for me and for several others, but that means that me and my family got to figure out what does that look like for us, a space where we can rest and worship alone and together. It's not about the day, it's about the practice. And listen, the next thing I'll say is remember that rest does not equal inactivity, right? Rest is celebration, not inactivity. If you leave today thinking the pastor gave me a license to binge Netflix for 24 hours, you have missed it, okay? That disclaimer, you are wrong. All right, that's not, I did not say that. Listen, for some people who work with their minds, they rest actively with their hands. All right, in fact, that's me. Look, some yard work for me is really restful, all right? Cutting the grass. I am so thankful that I have a push mower, not a riding mower, because it takes me longer, okay? I'm alone, the task is clear, It just has to be cut lower, okay? I have to stay in the lines mostly, I can come back around, nobody can bother me, all right? I can't even hear them because of the mower, right? It's wonderful, it's restful, it allows me to just sit back and be, and not be worried about anything else. But there are others. I was talking to a guy um, in our church. He's an he's a athletic trainer for a job. Man, cutting the grass, he is all out of energy because all he does all day long is he works with his body. So for him, resting with his mind, maybe it's a good book or something like that. The point is commune with God and then with others. Rest the mind and the body. There's a way I'll finish it. Start somewhere. Start somewhere, all right? You're gonna, listen, community group time is gonna be Awesome this week because we're actually going to work through what the rhythm of your week looks like and get a chance to practice this. So even if you're not in a group, I'd encourage you to go on our site, get that guide, um, and then hop into groups. You have some others to talk about this with. But start somewhere. Maybe start with a half day. Pick the day, decide on it, and like I said, you have to work. (laughs) You have to work to figure out what this looks like. What do you need to say no to? The whole series, the whole series is what are you created for? And you're created ultimately to find rest in God. Neverland was one man's attempt at some sort of adventuresome paradise. God says, no, no, you're gonna get something way better than that one day. If you wanted another dot on this, it's how the Bible ends. Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne and and here's what it said. It said, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Heaven's coming down. He will live with them. They'll be his peoples. God himself will be with them and be their God. He listen, listen to this promise of rest. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. That's true rest. That is true rest. And in the Sabbath day, it's just a Oh, friends, it's just a taste of what is promised to us in Christ.